Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. David, and you're listening, or you're about to listen to After Party Pod, which is the podcast that's a part of AfterPartyChat.com, a website that's all about addiction and recovery. Uh, I am Anna David. Did I say that already? I am am your host. Um, I am, am going to be talking today to the most, arguably the most delightful man I know. I'm just trying to think. I know a lot of delightful men. He's really, I mean, he's top five. It's really high up. Um, His name is Sam Lansky, and he is this wunderkid, I would say, if I spoke German. Or maybe I'd say wunderkind. I don't really know. But I do know that that, that he's a writer of such immense talent that if you've ever read anything by him, you know what I mean. Um, I worked with him. I've worked with him many times, and um, and I'm constantly sort of amazed at not only how articulate he is, but at how he's funny. He's original. Um, he he's I'm I'm obsessed a little bit. He's gay. Should I mention that he's gay? Um, and I you know I used to have a thing where I would get obsessed with gay guys, like really really obsessed, and 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 think I could convert them and stuff like that. That but that's something I've stopped doing. So so this is um, yeah, this is the only gay guy I'm, I'm obsessed with, and it's been it's like a you know it's been ever since I've met him. So it's not like this is an ephemeral thing. It's been a couple years, and so he lives in New York, but he was in L.A., and so I leapt at the opportunity to interview him for this podcast because I knew. He would be very fun to talk to, and I was right. I was right. So, um, yeah, enjoy Sam Lansky. Enjoy this podcast. If you enjoy it, I just ask that you write a nice little thing on iTunes about it and then tell a friend or 19 friends. And that's it. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for downloading. Bye. Oh, my God, Sam Lansky. Hey. Hey. hey, so we're a little bit like Madonna because we were just having a conversation and then we realized there was no point in having a conversation if it wasn't being recorded. That's like the only reason, I mean for posterity, like you have to record it. But also does it happen if it's not being recorded to and listened to by other people? No, literally no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not at all. Okay, so I'm sort of obsessed with you, which is I do think how we should start this. I love this. that. Yeah. I'm and obsessed I, with me, too. I know. I'm also obsessed with but you. But you're not. And that's part of my obsession with you is that, like, you're, you, you're intrigued. 
I think you might be intrigued by me, but obsessed not. <laughs> and that kind of keeps this going. So, so let's talk about the various stages of obsession and how I came to this place where we find ourselves. I love that. Let's, okay. let's trace back the history. This might be the best the history minute is of your life. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so what happened is... Um, I want to say two years ago, three years ago. Yeah, uh, two two summers ago, I think. I was working at this website uh, for a very, it was like a very crazy, crazy place um, where not a lot of good stuff happened. Um, and we got pitched completely insane things only by lunatics. Right. So one day... Which I didn't realize, no. by the way, when I, when I pitched, a friend of mine, a, a dear friend of mine sent me this website and was like, you should write for this. You would be perfect for this. And I was, um, I had not, I was just about to graduate from college. That's so from, precious. From undergrad. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I had published basically nothing. 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 I discovered um, you is I, what you're I'd saying. Into, you discovered me. You discovered me and made me into the, uh, yeah. into the icon that, that I that, The Korean yeah. pop icon exactly. and the Anna Everything. David icon. All of it. All I know. It. Especially I know. the Anna David That's icon. a big deal. Yeah. Um, so, so I, uh, I hadn't published anything. I'd, I'd done some, like, I'd interned for, like, a celebrity gossip outlet and, like, had clips from there, but that was the extent oh, yes, of my, yes, yes. of my, uh, of my writing output. So what happens to me is I had this, this, this crazy person that I worked for and he got, he never did anything, but he got that email for whatever reason that went to him first and nothing ever impressed him. Certainly nothing I ever did. And he sent it to me and he said, we just got this brilliant piece and it was it was the most brilliant, honestly, the most brilliant piece of writing I had ever read about addiction and Britney Spears. And so kind of. But the said. only one I, I mean, I can say for it's life. The only one. No, but but I mean, like it was so. And so he and I just were like, who is this person? Did not occur to either of us that you were male because Sam can go either way. Sure. And it just felt very female. I, I honestly really? don't think I thought a man could be that smart. Like I Oh stop. I don't know what it was. That's a I was tremendous confidence. One hundred percent convinced you were female. Tremendous. And I didn't know where you had come from or what this was. And it was also, by the way, like a novella. Can we talk about how long it was? It was very, very lengthy. It was, I want to say, 5,000 words. It was about that. Yeah. yeah. It was really, really a very long piece. And so I guess what happened then, this part I'm vague on, I must have emailed you. You emailed me and then and then I remember we spoke we spoke on the phone. Yes, and yeah. I must have realized at that point you were male. You must have. Yes. yes. Although I didn't realize that was what was happening no, for you. No, 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 no. How yeah. could you? Right. I was just excited to be like, you know, talking to an editor about like a piece of my writing. Right, yeah. right, right. And and so and so then we we had to chop it because yeah. it was so lengthy and we were and we ran it and because of some of the craziness of that that site some things would run, and then you began writing for me regularly, yes. which was a great joy and, and privilege. Oh, stop. But that, like, we had a pro. One of our many issues was that um, there was an editor who wasn't particularly well, so that person would go in and change things and make them illiterate or just riddled with crazy errors. Introduce typos. Introduce yeah. typos to the equation. Yeah. And there was, and then, it, and then I would get in trouble if I ever tried to fix that. Uh, or acknowledge this. It was like a whole... I didn't whole... know that was happening on your end, but that's... Oh, the of... whole thing was just madness. Yeah, it sounds like a fucking nightmare. But the nice thing about you, and so I, I had various levels of honesty with the different writers I was working with, because you can't really tell everybody that that's yeah. what's going on. And so, but I do remember that, like, I was just sort of straight with you. I was like, look, this is the situation... I'm so sorry. I remember that. Just tell me when you see, like, a crazy yeah. sentence inserted into your brilliant writing. Right. Okay. 
So then I feel that I was like sort of a front row witness at the evolution of the career of Sam Lansky. Because as we were saying before, I'm, I'm impossible to, you know, impress. And I was super impressed with you. I'm so flattered. And then you started writing. And then, well, then you did this interesting thing where you went to or- Oregon? Yeah, I went out to Oregon and then down to San Francisco. For um, a long time. For about a year, yeah. And what was that about? I um I had been working in uh, like celebrity gossip basically right. in, in New York full time after graduating, um, and it was just kind of running me into the ground, and I didn't want to do it anymore, and I wanted to work on longer projects. I had a book that I wanted to to work on. I wanted to do some freelance stuff, and I sort of had an inkling that um, uh, that I, I was I was capable of doing more or, or better work and writing for more kind of elite outlets than. Um, what I had been, what I had been starting to do, um, and I wanted to have the latitude to, to do that um, and build up some clips. And, and but it wasn't like stuff. a personal sanity thing, too. It was also a personal thing. New York was getting me down. New York was was kind of trying to. New York was beginning to corrode my spirit, um, and uh, and I was exhausted. And you went to college. You you went to Vassar. I know you went to a number. Take us through your educational experience and various trips to rehab. Sure. Um, that's that's a long conversation. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to condense it as much as you want to condense it. I um, I uh, started at... Um, so when I graduated from high school, let's start there. Okay. Um, Which was I, in? Uh, 2006. And what city? In New York City. Okay. Yeah. Um, from a uh, from a private school in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and immediately after graduating from high school, I, I was sent to Wilderness Rehab... And then uh, placed in uh, an inpatient rehab for chemical dependence, and then eventually placed in like a, a psych ward, um, and then like sort of broke out of there and said, "Okay, I'm going to go to Vassar, um, which I had been admitted to when I had applied as a senior." Okay, and the, but these admissions to these various institutions were because of you. It's not that this was a random thing. Oh no! This no, is no. where I mean, you was, needed was a, to go. I you was were a wild out. child. I yeah, was totally out of control. And you yeah. were like, "So what? What were you doing? How did this all start?" Um, well, I mean, like I was, uh, I was doing. I mean, I, I I think the main problem for me was was really prescription drugs. Like it was Adderall, um, and it was. Uh, and when were you prescribed that? How old were you? Um, I was actually I, I was old when I was prescribed that. I didn't start. I didn't have my own prescriptions for it until I was like fifteen, sixteen. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I love that that's old. I mean, it, it's old. I think in the in the context of like all of the people who are prescribed drugs like Adderall and Ritalin from a really young age. Right, right. Um, I, I started with Ritalin and then moved on to Adderall. I, I'd taken it recreationally and like had gotten it from friends and knew that I really liked the way it made me feel. Um, right. And so I just kind of went out and got my own prescriptions, and then that led to, you know, I, I because I was I was taking and also snorting so much Adderall. Right. I, uh, I couldn't sleep incredibly. Right. Um, and so and so I was prescribed Ambien for sleeping, and then I was abusing that and taking it. With the Adderall and uh, what's and then, that combo like? Um, really weird. Fuck, really I weird. bet. Yeah, but sort of like a dream for me because it was uh, it was like um, Ambien produces retrograde amnesia. Like you hear all of these like weird stories about people like taking Ambien and then waking up in their eating. Yeah, and like binge eating. Right. Yeah. There's a there's a great little thing from the New Yorker a couple of years ago called the Ambien Cookbook. That's like, you know, all of the shit that people put in their bodies when they're on Ambien, which is like, you know, you wake up, you wake up like chewing on an electrical cord and think like, oh, these red vines are so delicious. Okay, here's the thing. I took Ambien. I abused, actively abused Ambien for, I would say, seven or eight years. Never did I find myself eating. 
Really? Yes. It must be like a very specific personal idiosyncratic thing. It Yet enough be. for it to be a big media story. I guess that's true. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you know, it's probably something that like affects certain people some ways, and, and other yeah, people I feel a little, ways. I feel a little disappointed in my brain chemistry. I understand that. I understand that. But I, I will I tell you what Ambien did do to me because I also would like to point out that I was abusing Ambien way before the press. Nobody knew about Ambien. Yeah. This was like my little discovery, and I didn't do it for for quote unquote fun. Really? Because I'm a lifelong insomniac. Yeah. And so I was prescribed that, and I saw it as totally separate from my drug problem. Yeah. Even though what I would do with those those prescriptions, I was told to cut the pills into fourths. Yeah. And I would take ten, eventually, ten of those that I was supposed to be cutting into fourths, so I guess 40 times. Right. Is that ma- I can't do math, but that is that 40 times? That's 40 times. What I was supposed to be taking, because the thing about Ambien, the worst thing about it, and there are bad things, is that you build up a tolerance real fast. You do. You build up a tolerance. I would also... I would, um, because it produces retrograde amnesia, I would forget that I had taken my Ambien. So oh. I would take Ambien an hour later. I would say, shit, I need to take my Ambien. And then I would, an hour after that, because I was on so much Adderall, it wouldn't actually put me to sleep. So I'd just be in this like weird waking dream space. Right. So then I'd be like, fuck, I have to take my Ambien. That's and so I just, awful. And so I just end up like taking like 12 Ambien over the course of a night. And until not sleeping. I, like, and not sleeping until I, going deeper and deeper into this like, Waking dream, that ambient absolutely coma. Absolutely horrible. It was fucking awesome. I loved. That. Okay, interesting. I loved it. Well, because my so my ambient thing was that I would take it, and then when I was taking ten of those a night, I would find myself period. I never took it took it during the day. I never took it yeah. for quote unquote fun. But I would find myself driving and be like, "Why am I? Where am I going? Yes, Why? Right. Why am I going somewhere?" And I go, "I don't know. I'm going to go home now." Yeah, that that happens to people frequently, I think. And there's been like there have been so many stories about like accidents where people just like wake up and they're like fucking on the road, like right. high on Ambien and have no memory of getting into their car. But I never thought of myself as high the next day. I assumed right. once I woke up, because again, there was like nothing out there about this drug. Right. Then. Right. But but so. Yeah, okay, so, so, oh, and, but my thing with Ambien is that I would, I would take it, and I chain-smoked back in those days, yeah. and so I remember, like, being, I'd be on my couch, and I'd be chain-smoking, and I'd go, okay, just try to fucking finish the cigarette before, because I would just pass out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I always made it, luckily. That's really impressive. But that's an insane game to play. It is an insane, but, like, we, we all, I think, like, when we're on drugs, yeah. play weird games like that. Yeah, we I do. I play a lot of weird games yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah, I remember the the piece you wrote about um, the the beep on your computer. Yes, yeah, yes. Like we all have weird weird things like that that are like really really uh, deeply associated with like drug experiences. Right, right, right. Yeah. That was traumatizing. Yeah. Do you remember those computers that when the Mac would ask you if you hadn't moved, if you hadn't done anything in a minute, did you want to save? And do you I, remember how loud the beep was? I don't. I don't remember it. But like you, I mean, you evoked the experience. <laughs> so that a, you feel like you experienced yes, it? Yes, I really do. I really so, do. okay. And so you were doing Ambien and you were doing... Um, well, right. And then, you know, I was also taking Xanax and then I was also, you know, like using whatever street drugs I could get my hands on. Like, and, and you know, I was very much, uh, I was very much like you know, kind of classic polysubstance. Like, right. I didn't really care what it was. I just wanted to feel differently. I, and I, drinking? And I and I drank a lot, too. I mean, I drank a lot. And, you know, I, I went to high school in Manhattan um, and uh, was, was around a lot of, like, kids who partied really hard. Right. Um, and, you know, academically, the environment was, was fairly rigorous. And so right. that kind of explained the Adderall. And then I felt like I'd sort of earned whatever recreational... Right abuse I was engaging in because I'd worked so hard. Right, um, right, right. And, and the competitive nature made it so, you know, I remember somebody saying to me, um, that like, uh, 
being being in New York in high school, you know, in one of these like fairly elite. Environments. Which one can you can we say which one you were at? Or yeah, I, I, was at, I was at a school called the Dwight School. Right, right, um, right. And uh, and being there, you know, th- there were three ways that you could spend your time. You could uh, you could do well in school, and you could have a social life, and you could sleep. And you got two out of three of those, but right. only two. Right. And you were never going to get all three at once. And wow. so I chose uh, I chose the um, the the school and right. the social life, right. and just really didn't sleep at all, which right. meant a lot of Adderall, right. and then uh, and a lot of like Xanax and a lot of Ambien to try and like chill out because I wasn't sleeping and and taking like copious quantities of this. Uh, of this narcolepsy medication called Provigil um, that's been like prescribed off label for like increasingly for ADHD um, that like uh, they use it in the in the US military as the new like go pill it's replaced okay. amphetamine as what they give to soldiers on like long missions but more importantly was it fun it was not fun it was like objectively not fun at all and this was the kind of drug addict that I was like I um I really wanted to be like exceptional, like I wanted to be the best at right, everything. Right. And so like this drug, which produced no euphoria, like did not get me high at all. Right. But I would take it like every eight hours or so, and they've done studies and you can take it for up to like ninety six hours consecutively without sleep with no deterioration of your mental functioning. So it's like you what know, about your body? What does that your feel like? Your body's fucked. Like your body's right. Whole, but, your but body if your feels mind like was shit. okay, I but wonder I what that was so, would be like. But my body was fucked anyway because of right. all the other drugs. But so it was also twenty or twenty-one years old, so it could younger, kind of rejuvenate. Younger. Yeah, no, I was know? seventeen. Right, I, like, I didn't right. give a fuck like right. what kind of damage I was doing right. to my body. I just wanted to like I wanted to be able to like be a total rock star and like you know be great in school and right. go to a great college and you know whatever and also like have fun and get fucked up with my friends. Right. And so right. that's what I tried to do. And, and, uh, ultimately it didn't go so well for me. It was not sustainable. And do you think that you were self-medicating certainly ADD or no, or um, what do you think this was about? Or do you think you were just born an alcoholic and that's what was going on? It's a really good question. I, I think that, um, I think that I was, I think, I think I'm genetically predisposed to addiction. It runs in my family, right. certainly. I grew up uh, hearing, from my, uh, hearing from my mother, um, who, who is not an alcoholic or an addict, but has it on both sides of her family, that you know, if I experimented with drugs, if I you know, drank, I was probably going to end up becoming an alcoholic or an addict. And, and like, to some extent, I, I sort of had this promise of like, inevitable sobriety in my future. Right, um, right. And, uh, and so that wasn't something that I was tracking necessarily, I felt like I had it under control for a long time. I knew, you know, in high school, I knew that I hated the way that I felt. Um, right. I knew that I, I didn't like the way I felt right. any of the time. I was uncomfortable all the time. Um, Did you know that that was not normal? I mean, didn't you just assume everybody felt like that? I think I probably did, and I think I felt smarter because I had found all of these ways to make myself feel differently. Right. And, like, you know, I mean, I the, the social climate that I was in was one where people partied pretty hard and, like, right. traded and took a lot of prescription drugs and, like, did a lot of coke and, right. and smoked a lot of weed and drank a lot. And yet, like, I was the only person out of, out of my friends who was on something all the time. And I mean all the time. You know, I was never not on some kind of... Uh, Hill right. regimen, and and it felt right. like it always felt like, you know, I I could figure out like the dosages and what to take and how to take it, like how to ingest it, and I was always trying to get to that place where I could sort of transcend my humanity and become superhuman and just be this machine that could like go out and do whatever I wanted and be great in school and like 
get into an awesome college and, and like do all of these things at once that felt sort of impossible because I felt like such a fuck up on the inside, but right. I was always looking for a solution and all of these pills and different drugs felt like the solution. Well, and ironically, though it failed, yeah. your plan did work. You did go to a great college. You did sort do of. all of those things. Well, sort tell of. us how. Yeah. Well, sort so of. so I so I end up uh, I, I get sent to treatment. I spend the summer in treatment. I go to Vassar. I you know none of none of the issues that have been brought up in treatment have been resolved. You know I, right. I can't really make it. Just sort of opened a bunch you went of thirty wounds. days. Um, yeah, well, no, I, I was two months in wilderness and then, um, went to, uh, went to a, uh, a, a residential rehab, uh, in Kentucky, um, and, uh, and got kicked out for sleeping with my roommate. Um. They didn't know you two were they put that the way. Only, They put the only two, two gay kids together. in a room That's together. That's idiotic. Like, what, like, what, yeah. what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so then I, I, they transferred me to, um. To a program that was that was for uh, like you know cross addictions and um, and uh, in in New Orleans and I didn't last very long there. I just you know I, I felt like I was like locked up with a bunch of lunatics, which I basically was. You know, right. it's like a lockdown right. psychiatric unit. Right. Um, and uh, and so I, I went back to New York and uh, and I had this offer of admission from Vassar, so I decided to. Right. Go to Vassar and give Vassar a try. Right, and um, your parents, meanwhile, are freaking out, are not freaking out. My parents were. Um, I think my mother knew that my going to Vassar was a very bad idea. Right, um, she didn't think that was something that should happen. Uh, I think my father was was not totally engaged with my decision making process, um, and uh, and you know it wasn't. Um, I don't think anybody knew quite what to do, right? Because on, on the one hand, you know, I was I was I was pretty bright and right. uh, and I was ambitious and I was motivated and I was also just like a total fucking mess. Um, but you know, like I I'd gotten into this school, right, and, right, and, and one hopes for the best, right, of course. So. And, and I think like you know, perhaps perhaps all of us were were overly optimistic, and, right? And indeed, you know, I didn't last very long at Vassar. I was only there for a couple months. I couldn't finish out the term. The drugs got really out of control again. I went back to treatment, right? And uh, and then, you know, after after that was sober for about a year. Um, relapsed, went back to treatment, got sober again, and I've been continuously sober for the last five and five years and change. And so, how many treatment centers in all? Seven. Seven treatment centers. But I feel like because I remember you wrote this Exo Jane piece about a about a food treatment center. Yes, yes. So When um, was that? So that was when I was uh, 18, and I had been sober for uh, for about a year, sober for, from drugs and alcohol. And um, in that, uh, this these issues with food and this disordered eating stuff that had sort of been an ongoing problem, and I think a big part of my attraction to drugs of abuse like Adderall right. was that it curbed my appetite and I right. lost weight right. um, and I liked the way I felt and I liked not having to eat. Right. Um, and so being off that in sobriety and not really knowing how to manage my relationship with food or my body without drugs, um, this, this eating disordered stuff kind of like reared its head. Meaning you were like eating stuff you're feelings or not eating at all? It was it was sort of like a mix of both. Like right. I was never I was never sort of cut and dry anything. It was just like you know I would I would restrict my food for like extended periods of time. I would binge eat. I would binge and purge. I would right. do all kinds of weird shit around right. food. Right, right, um, right. And and sort of similar to the drugs, it was never like you know it's not like I was ever like a heroin addict or an right. anorexic. 
it was like, you know, I hated the way I felt, I hated everything about me, and I just wanted to change that. So, like, give me some drugs to fix that. I don't care what they are. Right. Give me something, you know, to eat or not eat or to do with my body that will change my body so I feel like I have some control and I can change the way I feel. That was sort right. of the pattern. Right, And that right. was the pattern with sex. That was the pattern with spending. That was the pattern with, right. with everything. Right. Um, it was like, it just always felt like there was something really wrong with me that I right. couldn't kind of get this under control and it felt like it felt like sort of uh, process addiction whack-a-mole you know like right, as soon, as, soon right. as, I would, as soon as I would wrangle something and rein it in right, something else would, would rear its up. head because there was something in me that just made me need to act out somehow but I'm curious I mean I sort of I totally relate to that but like I do feel like part of my experience of getting sober and getting really sober, I mean, I I guess not counting the first few years, was actually what started to happen is is once I started to understand what addiction was and what this desire to to escape my feelings and this understanding that nothing was going to work, that the feelings were still going to be there, that it was only going to make them worse. Yeah. It started to get everything a little more under control. My because yeah. like my food thing got the most under control when I quit smoking. Really? Ironically, which is when it's supposed to go mm. the most out of yeah. control. I just sort of was like, oh, I get this. Like because smoking was the second thing. It was kind of harder for me to do than than getting sober almost. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'm just looking for outs. Yeah. You know. Totally. I mean, is, did that happen, or was it more because it was whack a mole? You had to kind of deal with one at a time. I think I think for a long time it felt like whack-a-mole. And then I hit a point when I had maybe two years sober where it just didn't really feel that way anymore. It didn't feel like uh, it didn't feel like I constantly needed something to act out with. To be to be totally honest, um, I think uh, I think I, I, I uh, one of the things that I inherited from my father um, was like a real workaholic. Yeah. Speak. Yeah. And, um, and I think a lot of people in sobriety find that they end up throwing themselves into their work because they feel purposeful and, and right. you know, when you're, when you're working all the time, you aren't really feeling your feelings. But is that so bad? I would just like no, to challenge you with no, that. No, no. As a, I, as no, a I'm not, profound workaholic. I am, I am, I remain a workaholic. Yeah. I think that, I think that work and feeling purposeful in my work is the thing that made my experience of it made the whack-a-mole game stop. Right. Yeah, I feel like once right. once I felt like I was doing what I loved, once I started working as a writer, right. I felt like I could hold my head high. I right. felt purposeful. I felt like I had intention, and I didn't feel like I needed to change the way I felt all the time. Right. A lot of the time, I still had the desire oh, right. to absolutely, and still do to me of course, today. Yeah, yes. still. But but the urgency of it yeah. diminished yeah. Or, or sort of waned in its intensity. It, it, but it is, I you know, the true recovery, I guess, from it comes from being like, oh, if I was just sitting on a porch and I I didn't have this identity of Sam right. Lansky, this funny guy who is you know du- you know and didn't need all that validation, like we would yeah. be truly healed human beings, but. Being a truly healed human being is probably kind of dull. I've had I've had a real struggle uh, in sobriety with um, I feel a, a sort of tension between this idea that that I want to be uh, serene and uh, and like fine with who I am and in a place of acceptance and in a place of surrender, and I also have a hard time feeling that way and not feeling totally complacent, and mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. in some ways. Um, I don't know how to reconcile serenity with ambition 
like uh, I feel like right. being insecure or being not totally right with myself right. is the most powerful motivator that I have to right. do better, which right. then brings me a fulfillment that feels, whether it is or not, I, I can't say, that feels more sort of sophisticated or more ultimately gratifying than like nirvana, you know, than, right. than like the bliss of just like being with yourself and being right. satisfied with yourself. I mean, because that's the thing. I mean, workaholism is a real thing. But, like, what we know about these other, quote-unquote, highs or escapist things is they don't work. Right. Workaholism works. Workaholism does work. And, and like, the gratification that I feel from having done a really good job yeah. um, is, is powerful and, and has more lasting, has more staying power than, uh, you know, a line of coke. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, it's something I, I, I definitely think about a lot. And, um, and you know, because I know for me, it's like mine has caused health problems. Like right now, I'm like in a situation where like I'm super into my work and my neck and shoulders are so tight from being at my computer that I actually, you know, you know, can, could barely function for several a- hours over the weekend. And I'm like back on the, you know, fucking like needle in the arm again Monday right. morning because I can't right. resist. Yeah. And I know that's not you know, ideal, but, but it's, you know, for me, I I was not, I was not like you. I was kind of more like, I wasn't even an interesting fuck up. I was a fuck up of very low grade. So it was like, I was a B minus student from a very smart, ambitious family. And so no one said, oh, that's so sad. Look at that tragedy. They just were like, oh, that girl's okay. Right. And that was, that was always my big thing. So nobody thought I was smart. Nobody thought I would do much. And I have this really smart older brother who's always been very smart in a loud way. Yeah. And so it was a great... And I never was a hard worker at all. And so it was this great shock to me. And the minute I got sober, I was like, oh my God, I'm like Reese Witherspoon in election with the number two pencil. Like, I was the most motivated, ambitious person. And I had... You would have had no idea the previous 29 years of my life. But I think that's part of what happens when you get sober, though, is that like it sort of unlocks... The energy that you've been expending being an active addict or alcoholic, which is fucking exhausting. Like, yeah. That is hard yeah. work. It yeah. It's not easy. It's yeah. very, very tiresome. Yeah. All of that can get redirected towards yeah. other means. And, and you know, I, I don't think it's quite this simple, but to some extent, I, I feel like alcoholics and addicts are, are people who have an excess of certainly emotional energy, if For not sure. intellectual energy. Sometimes, and I feel yeah. Like, yeah. And I feel like there's, you know, when you're left with all of that, all of the sort of like leftover stuff, feeling stuff right. that you have been using to medicate it. Right, right, right. You need somewhere to go. Right. And so, right. and so for me, it definitely led me towards work. I think the same is true for you. And yeah. that has been a source of like real pride for me. I right. Think, in, right. And sort of right. having a better understanding of myself and my direction and what I want to do. But, and I mean, I only, I'm talking as much to me as I am to you, like this knowing that true esteem, like the big discovery for me in, in recovery was like, oh my God, esteem does not come from getting attention from men. It does right. not come from getting that job. It comes from doing esteemable acts. Huge yes. revelation to me. Yeah. And yet we live in a world that is increasingly about giving the validation, you know, the, the Twitter, you know, yeah. and the retweets and the favorites and the, all of that. And it's really hard because I know I'm dependent on it. Yeah. And I, I know too. it's not good for me. I am too. Um, I, I definitely know that I am. And it's, it's dangerous yeah. uh, in some ways in terms, of, um, in terms of feeling like I have to be sort of like 
attached to the teat of right. this uh, right. of this like stream of validation and affirmation. But it's hard when you get it. I mean, t- with Twitter, the most dangerous part about it is that it does give that, that validation I always sought. Oh, yeah, absolutely. On the regular. It's so, so, so gratifying. Yeah. I love Twitter so much. And I'm 100% addicted to Twitter. And, and I've thought many times about, like, if I would be able to go back to rehab and not be on the internet <laughs> for 30 days, right. I don't think I would be able to do it. Like, right. I, I've really thought right, about right, this. Right, 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 Because, you know, like... I don't know. You went to treatment, yeah. right? Um, no, I did actually outpatient, which is weird. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I um, I loved being in inpatient treatment. Like, right. I loved it because the whole world just disappeared. And, right. And I felt like I was sort of, I was, I mean, I think the reason that I went so many times is because when I figured out that, like, rehab was a place where someone or something right. would pay for me to talk about myself for 30 days. Right. That was the fucking dream. Right. You know, like, I would right. gladly put up with whatever other bullshit they wanted to shove down my throat. Right. To have the luxury of, like, not having to work or go to school or, like, do anything. And in one of those treatment centers, give you a person to have sex with in your room. Even better. Best <laughs> of all. I mean, practically conjugal. Um, I, uh, I really, I really, like, loved that about treatment. And even that, I think, would not... I mean, that, that's basically the same thing that Twitter is, though, is, you know, right. like, talking about myself, only I don't have right. to go away to do it. And you don't have like to I, listen to anybody talk about themselves. I, like, in group, you got to listen to that shit. I have to. No, that's actually a really, really good revelation. That That's the same thing that I loved about rehab is what I love about Twitter. Is right, that, like, right, right, right. I have a captive audience of people <laughs> who... <laughs> Who are going to listen to me and have talk to respond? Myself. And some are always going to respond. Absolutely, and that is like the greatest fucking thing in the world for right. someone like me. Right. I love that. That I is brilliant. It. We write about that for yes. after party chat. That is yes. brilliant. I totally will. I totally will. Um, okay, but so what I would like to also further point out is so okay, so you left, and this is what was interesting to me because as as an observer watching you leave New York and go to like what sounded like crazy to me, like what, like this yeah. guy is like you know building this exciting career. Why would he do this? And and it's like I sort of saw everything change for you over a year. Yeah. And that was kind of, it was like you had engineered the whole thing. Um, you know, and suddenly you were writing for, you know, I, you wouldn't write for me anymore. And and it was, you know, and Sorry, I was, no, and by the way, I sort of hated the, everything about where I worked. So it was like I was happier for you more than I was sad that you Thank wouldn't you. write for me. I appreciate that. You know, but you were writing for New York Magazine and tell, tell us more. Um, well, yeah, so, I mean, I, um, I knew that, uh, I felt sort of, like, trapped in, uh, the rut that I was in, which felt like a fairly low-rent one, you know, I was doing sort of, like, shitty, uh, tabloid entertainment bullshit. It was better than that, though. No, I mean, not the stuff for you. No, no, but I even the stuff, I knew the job you had back then. It was, it was, I mean, I, I certainly like to think, as, as we all do, I'm sure. That you elevated it. Yeah, that I, that I made it better than, than what it, what it objectively was. But ultimately, you know, the brand wasn't something that I was excited about. Right, right, right. I wanted to be a part of. And I, um, I knew that there were other, there were other things that I wanted to work on and other projects that I wanted to tackle. And, um, and I wanted to, uh, I also wanted to, I wanted to like take some, uh, MFA courses, um, and do some like, you know, other academic creative writing stuff. Right. Um, my mom lives in Portland, so I went to Portland, uh, and took some classes at, uh, in the MFA program at Portland State, not like as, as an enrolled student, but just kind of like dabbling. Right. And those were really good, and I, I felt good about the work that I did there. 
and um, and uh, MTV had offered me a sort of contract gig doing a weekly column for them, um, and I started doing that. Um, I started pitching. I started you know kind of taking on bigger things. Right. So I, I did some stuff for New York Magazine, um, The Atlantic. Uh, Billboard. Grantland? Didn't you do Grantland? Grantland. Yeah. Um, yeah, Grantland, which I love, love, love so much. I did a long, a long kind of feature for them. Um, and then didn't you do the, the Heidi Fleiss and her birds? Yeah, so that has yet to run. Okay. Um, so uh, so I can't talk about really it. talk about it. Okay, that. I apologize. But I suddenly no, was like, was that even Sam? Suddenly yeah, it didn't no, seem like it was you. No, but yeah. yes, that, that was me. So so there is a there is a piece forthcoming yes. at some to-be-determined point right. in the future right, right, about right. Heidi Fleiss and her birds. And that's going to be amazing, wherever that I'm runs really, and whenever that I'm runs. really, really excited about that piece. Yeah. Um, and, and so... Um, yeah, and then it was just like even like sort of your Twitter totally changed. I noticed a dramatic change yeah. between you know the Sam pre Portland and the Sam after. It was just suddenly you were sort of on fire and kind of I, I it felt like that. I feel like I sort of like I, I began to understand Twitter, your voice like how Twitter and your worked. voice. I yeah, think. I, I think I think I sort of came into my own in terms of like the voice that I wanted to use when I wrote and how I was able to translate that over into Twitter. Right. Um, and, uh, and sort of felt like, felt like I suddenly kind of got a handle on who I wanted to be in a, in a sort of writerly context. Right. And, and began to, to really understand like how in sort of like a 360 degree view that I needed to manage that, you know, in the, in the work that I was doing and in the portfolio of clips that I was generating and then in how that, that carried over into my social media presence. And so funny. To me, it's, I thought it was way more organic than that. that oh, like, really? You, oh, yeah. That it wasn't this, like, predetermined, like, that you were just coming into your own and you were like, oh, this is who I am. Not that it was like, I must think about my social media presence. And no, I, I, would, I would love to say that it was a really organic process. And there are pieces of it that were, certainly. But it felt like um, it was... It was Fairly calculated. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I, I, I well played, young man. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. It worked. I, I realized. I mean, I guess the way in which it was calculated primarily is that I sort of saw through, uh, like trial and error, like yeah. what people responded, responded to, to and right. what people did not respond to. Right. And it became really clear what you know what I should do if I wanted to um, if I wanted to to sort of have the kind of career that I wanted to have and do the work that I wanted to do. And, and I guess I would also say like. Um, one of the things that's been gratifying for me, especially recently, just like over the last six months, is um, after doing a lot of personal writing, uh, primarily for, for you on, on The Fix. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then, then your blog. And then, well, so, and, and then I did some personal writing on my, on my blog, and then I basically abandoned that writing personal stuff publicly for about a year or maybe a little bit more interesting and focused primarily on entertainment and culture right. writing right and built up more of a following on Twitter for you know having having commentary on celebrities yeah. uh, and and music especially since I ended up then getting a full-time job writing about music all the time and sort of built be I think um, the, the following that I built, which is, you know, which is not like a huge following. Well, but to the I noticed just from when you retweeted one of the stories that you did for me, mm -hmm. that it, they're very dedicated. So it's not about numbers. It's about how that's, responsive that's they are. That's absolutely true. I, I am so, so, so fortunate that, you know, out of the, out of the little pocket of followers that I have, they're very, very, uh, 
they they are invested in, in yeah. like, the work that I'm doing yeah. um, in a way that feels more than casual. And I absolutely love that. I mean, like, it means so, so, so much to me. But, but this thing, I mean, because the thing about, you, I mean, your passion is music and one could say not even great music like pop music is and so what's so interesting and special i think about the work that you do is like is that we have this very brilliant mind focusing on what could be called like throwaway pop music and that's not something that happens a lot it's very kind of you to call me brilliant i i always said that i wanted to write deeply about the shallowest things right right um, that's such a noble goal thank you so much but yes I do feel like, um, and you know, I, I write about other entertainment stuff, and I, you know, I, I like to think that I cover, um, you know, more ground than just music. But pop music is really my mainstay, and my feeling is that, um, you know, the smart people who want to be writers and editors generally have better taste than that. Right. They, you know, if they want to write about music, they want to write for Spin or Pitchfork or Rolling right. Stone. And they want to write about, like, serious, kind of credible music. Right. Although more people every day are engaging with, you know, Miley Cyrus than the Black Keys. Right. You know, just in terms of, like, the, the kind of cultural output. And, right. And how we, you know, as a culture are being affected or shaped or our experiences are being informed by the cultural impact that Miley Cyrus has. Right. So if we're not talking about Miley Cyrus because all of the smart people are over here talking about the Black Keys, then there's a real sort of blind spot in terms of of doing a a thoughtful or or at least deliberate exploration of, like, what this means with a capital M. Right. And not everything I write is about, like, the capital M meaning of Miley Cyrus. Right. But I'm very fortunate to be in a position where both in my freelance work and then also in my full-time real job as an editor at Idolater, um, which is a spin media's uh, pop music website, right. um, I, uh, I get to do sort of more detailed in-depth right. Right. Uh, and, and kind of critical looks at the, the mainstream pop music that is widely regarded as disposable or not credible. Right, right. I um, it's interesting because my third book uh, was the reality, uh, yeah. this collection of reality essays about reality right. TV, and I figured, and I it was sort of the same concept. It was like, well, if I get smart people to writing about dumb things, then I'm going to get the whole audience. I'm going to get smart people and dumb people, and right. I know it's not that simplistic at all. No, but, but that, that I was wrong really? because, as it turned out, smart people don't want to read about yes. the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills always, which is so stupid. Which is that's their loss. About. I know. All I want to read about. And Did I ever send you my essay about the Real Housewives? I don't know. But is it about the Beverly Hills yes. Housewives? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, yeah, my obsession with that I'm is gonna, not I'm going to send it to you. Yeah, I wrote it like please. two years ago and like almost got it into Harper's, like was so, so, so close and that was like a fucking dream come right, true. Right, right. And like it just kind of fell apart, but I'll, I'll send it to you. I want, yeah. I mean, there's so much to say and I would go on and read Julie Klausner's blogs and, Incredible. and read those comments for yeah. hours yeah. the next day. Oh no, those, those were absolutely extraordinary. Her, I, I wrote about that in my piece, um, which which I don't know why I'm talking about because it's I not published. I feel like I nobody, read this. Could you nobody. have shown us? It just sounds familiar. And you writing about Julie's column that sounds familiar. But go on. It's possible. It's okay. possible. Go on. Um, I uh, I um, I love I love that show so much. I, I her her recaps and Richard Lawson's recaps were like you know, I just know it's kind of tragic cool. that he doesn't do them anymore. Really, I know. yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. Um, but yeah, I mean, because to me, and I feel like this about the real world too. Yeah. I am. I am an adult. I am. I am 
a, a more than middle-aged woman, yeah. and I learn things about human behavior Absolutely. that are profound mm -hmm. from the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and from the real world, which is a yes. far less popular position to take. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes, the real world feels like going to a meeting yeah. to me. It's yeah. like a reminders why I don't drink anymore, what can happen. Totally. Um, and the Real Housewives is why is is sort of why I have emotional sobriety yeah. because right. I want to behave. I understand every single one of their instincts. Yeah. I have the same insecurities, but yeah. I have learned not to do that. Yeah, it's interesting. I am. Um, I've actually thought so funny that we're talking about this. I've thought about the Real Housewives a lot lately. I think about them a lot in general. Right. But, um, but uh, I'm, like, in in the first, like, kind of serious adult relationship of right. my serious adult Right, life. right. Um, and, uh, and, I mean, like, I've, I've been in relationships before, obviously, but um, but this is the first one that feels sort of, like, real. Well, um, yeah, and also, not to pry, but weren't they sort of with a lot of older men? They were that was, like, your thing? Exclusively with older men. Yes. So this is the first time in my life I've ever dated uh, an age peer. Right. Um, and, uh, and so I've thought um, in, in sort of, like, conflict as it's emerged in the relationship. <laughs> you compare it to what's think, happened? Um, no, I think about, um, I've never, uh, because I always dated older men, there was always, a, you know, there were always weird, fucked up power yeah. dynamics and, and differentials, and so conflict never felt, um, you know, we were never, we were never sort of on the same, uh, we were never right. on the same footing or on the same playing field. Right. So we never had conflict uh, like this, you know, not, not that like, my boyfriend and I fight all the time by any right, stretch of the imagination. Course, but like, right. when, you know, when you're in a relationship and you have conversations about intense emotional stuff, um, I've understood the impulses of the Real Housewives for the first <laughs> time in my life, and it's totally foreign. Like, and which one? Totally unfamiliar. Um, I mean, like, I, I sort of have like a bit about like my desire to like throw wine at people. You know, that's a Ramona. Um, well, um, it's it's actually a Tamara Barney. See, I'm only Orange Beverly County Hills season now. Six finale. Okay, she, okay. She throw, season five finale, maybe she throws a glass of red wine in Gina Keo's face, <laughs> and it's like so fucking spectacular. I have an animated GIF of it, right, that I, like, right, right, out, um, as like a primary mode of communication. Uh, but um, but no, like uh, like I and you know all of this like I um, and, and I do this a lot on on Twitter too. Like I think like the the culture of, um, of like, quote-unquote drama and, like, quote-unquote right. toxic people right. and a need to, like, clear the air. Right, and, like, right. Ta and talking in this very, like, self-important, absurd, bullshit, <laughs> new-age way about, like, negativity. And, right. And, you know, like, that sort of, that rhetoric of, like, self-help bullshit that's been sort of adopted by reality TV gremlins right, in this, like, right, totally right. horrifying and objectionable way. Right. Like, I, I sort of make fun of that because I just think it's, like, hysterical the way these women all, like, sit around, you know, as they swill their pinot, like, right. talking about, like, you know, toxic people and which of their friends <laughs> they hate um, right. as they resolve to, like, remove negativity from their lives and, you know, With say, the cameras going. Right, and say, it is what it is, you know? With right. this, like, you know, false sageness. Right, it's just, like, right, right. I, I think it's so stupid and so funny. And, like, I have, I have found myself having thoughts of, like, I'm just really sick of all this drama. Like, I just right, really want all right, this drama right, to go right, away. Right. Like, oh, this feels totally toxic. I don't want to be a part of this. Right. I'm like, oh, no, like, I'm becoming that. I I'm know. totally becoming a participant in that culture that I think is so gross and weird. I know. I know. I get that. It's I, really, it's really, really troubling. But really, yeah, what they're doing is they're taking the, like, 
the cheat sheet version of like people yes. who really go to therapy right. and really go to twelve step or whatever right. it is and actually resolve yes. to like rid their lives of whatever ails them. Because so, it's art imitating life, and then your life is like, what am I yeah. relating to that art right. that I did, you know sort of drive? Yeah, totally. And it's it's all just kind of circular, in right? That way. But just yeah. like yeah, just wait till Beverly Hills is back on the air is all I can say. I'm so excited. I'm so <laughs> excited. I should. I saw. I saw Jen. Very yes. Briefly, so I should she, give her a little shout out. We should. Well, and she and I emailed, and she sent me the cutest email this. I think this morning. Yeah. And so yeah, so we share a mutual friend. Yes. Jen Jimenez. Jen Jimenez. Who is, um, who, uh, was on Celebrity Rehab and Sober House. Yes. Um, and is, and is increasingly a fixture on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Yes. Due to her friendship with Brandy Glanville. Right. My personal favorite housewife. Right. Um, who you know uh, I met with to do her book, but it didn't work out. That's right. You told me yes, that. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. It didn't work out. Yeah. It's really a shame. Yeah. Um, but yes. And you became friends with Jen. How? Um, through my friend Beth. Who uh, who works in in entertainment journalism, right? Um, and who's known Jen for a really long time, and, right? Uh, and thought that we would get along and connected us up. And she um, was and right. I was, and I was such a housewives enthusiast. And, yes, uh, yes. And so, um, so and yeah, Jen and I, Jen and I became friends that way, and now and now she's a dear friend. And so you saw her. So you're in LA for just a few days. Yes, very and, brief stay. Okay. And, and Jen just started a website too. Yes, Jen started a website called Sober Book. Yeah, um, that's also that's also a magazine in uh, Florida. In Florida. Yeah, yeah, I need to find out more. Yeah, I, I had I had very little sense of what the project was, but she's super excited about it and yeah. super motivated. Yeah, and, and really. I think is doing great things with it, so I'm just. Very, and she's very such proud a sweet girl. She oh, really she's is. The loveliest. She's just like the loveliest soul. Right. Yeah, right. I right. Love her and so, okay, and so my, um, so, so my thing with you, yeah, it's just that like I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with you because I really, me too. because I, I don't, I mean, I, I do see you as someone who, you know, you're still so young. How old are you? Twenty four. Twenty four, and like. Yeah, anything could happen. You know, it's funny because one of the writers that you referred to me, because you referred me several good writers at the old website. Yes, um, I tried to. And yeah. one was like, God, I mean, is he going to be like an Andy Cohen? Like, really, what's going to happen with Sam? He could do anything. But I think you're too good for that. I mean, I think you're better oh, than an Andy Cohen. I know. Wait, who's, did somebody say that? Yes. Who said that? McCartan. McCartan said that? Yeah. Oh, that's very sweet. Yeah. That's so sweet. I love that. Yeah, that's but really it's nice true. Feature. It's like, well, what what will you do, you know? Well, I think, I mean, like, for me, it, it definitely remains to be seen. I have I have a lot of stuff that I'm working on kind of all the time. Yeah. Um, what I'm right now most excited about is, uh, is I'm a couple weeks away um, Right after Labor Day, my first book proposal will go out. Great. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that and seeing how that plays it out. It is a novel? It, it is, is a, a memoir. Nice, It's a nice. memoir about uh, about my wayward New York City youth. Oh, uh, this is um, great. I love and, it. And uh, it's called, um, the, the current title is uh, How Not to Get into Princeton. Well, I like it. Because uh, I really wanted to go to Princeton. And I literally did everything wrong. Right. I could not have fucked it up more. Right. Um, from uh, from all of the Adderall to the uh, having an affair with with a powerful older man in the Princeton community who promised to pull me strings to pull strings for me to get me in. I thought that did woodwork. 
it didn't work. It right. totally did not work. Right. I totally dropped the ball. Oh, and right. just failed miserably and did not get into Princeton. I, spoiler alert. Right, right. Um, but, uh, but it's a project that I've worked really hard on, um, and I'm really, really excited to see where it leads and, uh, and definitely have high hopes for that. I'm so, excited about that. So that's sort of where I've been focusing a lot of my, a lot of my extra energy in addition to the work I do at, at Idolater and, uh, and elsewhere. Okay. Well, while we are, I'm, I, this is so casual. I'm going to check Twitter to see if we have an addiction question. Totally. I love that. If we that. do not have an addiction question, um, we get to answer whatever, um, oh, oh, we got, look, we got several. Sure. One is from my my personal favorite person on earth next to you. Can can the table reporter still hear me? I don't know. Well, I don't know. Lara Naiman. Yes. I am addicted to Sam Lansky. Oh, also, are any nightly sleeping pills advisable for a sober person asking for a friend? And then somebody else uh, at Titan BM asked, "What is the best piece of advice you could offer to someone struggling with recovery?" Now. Mmm. These are good. Uh, yes. They're good. So, Sam, I have, um, I have uh, thoughts on the sleeping pill uh, question. Yes. But, but these are questions are really first for you. Okay. So, um, so, uh, so with regard to being addicted to Sam Lansky, I'm afraid I don't have anything to... Uh, Except keep doing what you're doing, Larry yes. Naiman. Enjoy it. <laughs> Enjoy the high. Ride it out. Larry Naiman and I once had got to have dinner with you that in New was, York. That was an absolute treasure. Do you understand what, what that did for the two of us? What did it do for you? I don't, I don't, know. don't we understand. Were, we I don't were understand really excited, and then we begged you to come to a party with us. I know, I'm sorry. And you did I'm it. So no, and, you, and it was a terrible party, so it was like, it I'm only so added to our obsession that. because... Yeah. It was like, oh, he knew this was going to be a terrible party. He knew better than to come. I remember that you guys really wanted me to come, and I laid out a fairly detailed explanation. You had a of, good reason of why I would not come. You like, had a great reason, the, like from a logistical standpoint. No, you had like it was like a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah, like I, I, I like knew, and and I remember being like very pleased and satisfied with myself that you were actually convinced, like that it that worked. My, there was no, I mean, there was no way we couldn't have been with what you brought to the I table. I love that. I was very, very pleased with that. It felt like it felt like a minor coup. It was. It was. Because I don't think Lara Naiman and I are easy to convince no, of anything. All. Not at all. Together or separate. No. No, not at um, all. But yeah, I do remember. But like sort of, the party was terrible, but like a sort of Heisenberg principle, it was terrible. I'm sure I'm using this incorrectly. You didn't, if you would come, it wouldn't have been terrible. That's, pro that's probably the case. Right. Yes. But we were sort of obsessed with you and we were kind of like <laughs> tweeting at you from the, who knows. Anyway. I think I remember that. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. It was a good night. Yeah. Um, so sleeping pills, um, advise for a sober person. Okay, so um, so this is actually this is good for me to talk about. Um, I occasionally take uh, Tylenol PM. Uh -huh. and, like I oh, really yeah. need to knock myself out. Um, I uh, there is a there's a brand of energy drinks called Neuro, uh -huh. um, and uh, and they have a sleep drink which I have. Really? Yes, it comes in an orange bottle, and you can get it at like Seven Eleven and like some grocery stores, um, and it has like. It does, I mean, it doesn't have anything, like, you know, particularly potent. It has, like, magnesium and, um, and tryptophan. Tryptophan, uh, yeah, I was going to yeah, say. Uh, which is, you know, the, the you chemical take, that's in, like, Thanksgiving turkey. You can take tryptophan pills, too. Yes, That never yes. worked for me. I, I've, I've never actually tried it. I did. Um, but this is, like, this is, like, whatever, their, their blend of, uh, of, like, random vitamins and bullshit, um, in, like, you know, suspended in like a gross sugar water. Right. Um, right. And like that knocks me out. Okay, it really, interesting. really works. 
doesn't get me high, doesn't put me into any kind of like impaired state. Right. I just get sort of like sluggish. Right. And 30 to 40 minutes after drinking it, like I'm out and I sleep really well. Is, so I drink that sometimes. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I recommend it. And there's also a medication called trazodone. I'm familiar with trazodone. And we had a conversation about trazodone because it turned out Kim Richards took it. Do you remember yes, this conversation? I do remember that. Yes. And it <laughs> was were, like, of course Kim Richards takes trazodone. Of but you were does. super impressed. It was the one time I managed to impress you because I take trazodone and you're like, that knocked me out for days. Yeah, it did. That that shit made me comatose. Totally. Not comatose. me. Barely puts a dent in my energy level. Really? Yeah. That's extraordinary. It's non-addictive. It is a failed antidepressant. It did not make people happier. It's like old school tricyclic. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't make them happier. It just yeah. made them tired if they were anxious. Yeah. So that is one that is totally, you cannot get addicted to it. I mean, you cannot, you do not build up a tolerance right. to it. Right. I am not an MD. I should probably make that clear. Yeah. Um, but. I'm really not either. <laughs> you're not? I'm not even close. I mean, I'm praising you so much that I it know. almost feels like really I should call wonderful. you a doctor. It's all true. I love that. Um, what was the other, the other question was best, was it best piece of sober advice? Um, here, I'm going to step okay. aside over here. It was, what is the best piece of advice you could offer to someone struggling with recovery? God. Um, that's like, that's, that's a really, um, it's a really good question. Uh, let me think about this for a minute. I, um, you know, uh, I have found myself, like, for the first time in my sober life, um, in, in like the, the five, definitely the last five years that I've been sober, um, I, I find that the different like cliches and platitudes and things that I hear circulated like sort of kind of go, they don't go in one ear and out the other. They like go in and they sort of like take place somewhere in my brain and then occasionally they rise up when they feel right. relevant. Right. But generally they don't feel relevant when I hear them. When I right. hear them, they feel like bullshit. Right. right and right. Um, I have like, been so 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 into this too shall pass mm. um and like it is it is assumed this like level of profundity that, right. that it had never right had that four before. words almost shouldn't have yeah this too right shall pass. um yes yeah exactly <laughs> um i really uh i think like that's it doesn't always help in the moment to know that that whatever you're feeling is ultimately transient and and right. like will not be around forever right um but i am frequently I frequently need to be reminded that feelings change. You yeah. Know, like your feelings change. Yeah. And whatever, no matter how kind of gripping or debilitating something feels in the immediate moment, right. it won't feel that way forever. And I think that is something that I've, I've held on to throughout sobriety, even if I didn't really connect it to this too shall pass. Right. I always knew that like, no matter how ugly and awful it was, it wasn't going to be that way forever. Yeah, I mean that I mean I that I think is one of the greatest things I've learned in sobriety because the truth was they didn't pass. The feelings the ironic thing about the addict, you know, because I think addiction is just I can't handle this feeling. I'll yeah. do anything I can to change it. Right. Totally. And so you you put toxic chemicals into your system and the irony is that it makes those bad feelings actually last. Yeah. Whether it, you know, some That's drugs true. eradicate them in the moment and That's they come true. back, but whatever it is, it emphasizes it. So yeah. I would get depressed and I could stay depressed for two years, yeah. three years. And in sobriety to go, um, and it's not that I haven't had lengthy depressions in sobriety, but like I've also had ones that last an hour. Yeah. And, you know, but I... And then it's over. Yeah. 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 And, um, but, you know, I also think that struggling, if you're struggling, you know, there, there can be all kinds, there's, there can be, uh, 
you know, what you said, sort of just like hang tight, it's going to pass. Yeah. Um, the, the pain comes from, in my experience, uh, clinging and not like surrendering, just yeah. sort of going, this is it. Right. This is fucking it. Um, but also sometimes, you know, you d- outside help, medication, antidepressants, things like that can, can really help. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, um, but, but, you know, I think talking about it and, and until, until you get an answer yeah. about what it is. Yeah. It's definitely useful. And drinking yeah. and doing drugs is never going to um, make it any better. It doesn't really work. It doesn't work at all. Yeah. I mean, it works until it stops working. And then when it stops working, it's so horrible. Yeah. I mean, my thing, when I, my one relapse, you know, I ended up, you know, like uh, two bottles of wine and four and a half bits of ecstasy the night I decided to drink. Yeah. It didn't work for me real fast. No. Yeah. Real fast. I understand. My my one my one relapse was like really really ugly. And really yeah. Dark. Yeah. Well, okay. So thank you for your questions. Please keep sending them. I hope we answered them. I know we really successfully answered. I am addicted to Sam Lansky. Yes, which is the most crucial question. It's not a question, but it's but a it's, great question at the yeah, same time. It's an issue. It's an issue. Okay, and so now there's a little quiz, and I've just, I've changed this up a little bit. I think I'm going to make this purely a my strange addiction quiz for okay. this podcast and future podcasts. Okay. I'm going to give you three scenarios, and you have to tell me which was not an episode of My Strange Addiction. Okay. Okay. I don't, I don't watch My Strange Addiction. That, that me neither. Matter. Okay. Doesn't Perfect. matter. Okay. Perfect. The woman who drinks shampoo, the woman who sniffs baby powder, and the woman who drinks her own urine. Uh, baby powder. Okay. But just to make this game more fun, tell me why. I'm not telling you if you're right or wrong, but you're wrong, but tell me anyway. Shit. <laughs> Um, the, uh, what was, what was the first one? What was the first option? Drink shampoo. That was the fake story. Okay. So. Cause that um, sounded like the most likely. It did. So, so I ruled that out because it sounded like the most likely and the woman who drinks her own urine also sounded really likely because that felt like something that was sort of like textbook taboo or transgressive in a way that would like appeal to somebody with like a not particularly exciting relationship with their own like need to be weird and gross you uh, know? well I'll tell you it gets even weirder um, I, I read this online because of course I haven't seen this show yeah. um, that it was because t- she thought it would cure her of cancer which makes it all sad I'm so sorry I'm so sorry but That's like anyway ultra dark I know I know yeah. but you said baby powder she yeah. wanted baby powder yeah that that was true that was really? a true thing, yeah. Really? Yeah. I don't love that for her. No, no, yeah, no. None of these are you're going to love. Okay, but here's yeah. another one. So that was wrong, and okay. I apologize I to you for failing yeah. so badly. I failed. Okay, which is not an episode of My Strange Addiction. The woman who eats cat food. Should, i got to remember which one I made up. The woman who pees in her cat's litter box, and the woman who licks and eats her cat's hair. Shit. I know. This is not an easy quiz. It's a really tough quiz. A really tough quiz. Um, I'm going to go with uh, with the woman who licks and eats her cat's hair. I'm so sorry, but you got that one wrong, too. God, That's so a real thing. So That's why this game this. is... I can't really so decide if this, this game is fun, because nobody can do it. Yeah, so it's it fun might, for it me. It might be too hard. It might be too hard. It might be. It yeah. might be. Do you want to know the fake one? Yeah. The woman who pees in her cat's litter box. Come See, on. That, that to me, felt like the most outrageous, which made me think that it had to be true because it was Right, that's the tricky part. That's yeah. the tricky part. Yeah, very tricky. Yeah. Well, although you failed at the game, you have succeeded in life. Thank you so much. And I feel that way. And so where else can, where can people find you? So, 
Um, they can find me on Twitter mm-hmm. uh, at Sam Lansky. Yes. L A N S K Y. Right. Let's spell it out. Then it's important. Um, I uh, I have a personal blog where I post pieces of personal writing and just like random pop culture detritus. Shut um, ever, right? Which is called Shut Ever. Mm-hmm. Like, shut up plus whatever. Right. Love it. Uh, which is shutever.com. Um, and then I have I have a sort of ongoing portfolio of work at samlansky.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and those are the best places to, to seek me out. Well, this was such a pleasure. I'm it really was. Right? It was more fun than you expected. It was very, And very you expected fun. fun. I expected a lot of fun. Right. And I was not disappointed. Okay. I'm so glad. And, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs>